Americans. This is the Urbane Cowboys podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Good day. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to Urbane Cowboys. I'm Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute. And I'm Doug McCullough with the Lone Star Policy Institute. Today, we welcome back my friend Kate Hyde. You may know her from Twitter fame as well as from her appearances on Fox News and Fox Nation. Kate, thanks for coming back. Thanks so much for having me again, guys. So we're, we're starting a new year and a new decade, and uh, you know we figure you're somebody who's uh, sort of in the know, and you'd be a perfect person to, to kick off the new year and maybe uh, do, what, what, do what everybody does this time of year, which is to take a look back, uh, maybe do a little bit of looking into what's, you know, what's coming in the year ahead. But you know, since we are also starting a new decade, let's take a quick look back at sort of the highs and lows of the past decade. So, you know, Kate, what are your thoughts about what's happened politically in the you know in the past ten years, uh, politically and from sort of your your bailiwick sort of infotainment? Give us the the highs and lows of what you've seen in maybe the last decade. Well, this has been quite a whirlwind of the past decade for sure. I mean, when you think about, um, you know, we were still fresh in the Obama administration two years in and then, you know, Obama winning re-election and then handing us, you know, the complete opposite end of Trump. And now we're finishing off the decade with Trump. I think it's that alone has been crazy. But when you think about, I mean, even the cell phones that we had a decade ago versus cell phones that we have now and the technology, you don't really think about how quick of an evolution that was. But I'm pretty sure in 2010, I mean, there I didn't have a smartphone in 2010. I think starting off 2010, I still had a little dorky flip LG, you know, and uh, it, it's I, I, granted there were smartphones, but but not everyone had them, I guess is my point. You know, this crazy evolution of always having Twitter in your pocket has allowed us to keep up on these crazy um, viral moments of the last few years. And I have to say, I had to very quickly think what was my favorite moment uh, of the last decade. And I want to say it fits into this. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Balloon Boy uh, in 2010? Didn't that kick off this decade with uh, that crazy? Do you guys remember Balloon Uh. Boy? I do remember Balloon Boy. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that was that was uh, this decade. Oh God, nope, it was not this decade. By three months, I just looked it up. So really, I have nothing to remember of this past decade. <laughs> Balloon Boy was it. <laughs> so what you know, there, there's been a lot of uh, let's say, uh, you know, all the controversy. There's been a, a ton of entertainment that's come out of the Trump administration. What have been sort of the, the highlights from sort of an entertainment value? What's been the most entertaining stories out of the Trump administration? Um, out of the Trump administration, the most exciting stories. I mean, what hasn't there been? Basically, what he's done is has taken the, the WWE atmosphere and brought it into the White House. And quite frankly, I, I think it's been great. And my favorite part about the Trump administration as a whole is he delivered not only did he deliver you know the complete opposite of the Obama administration but he's delivering something that I never thought we would see again you know now that we're in the the 20s if you will I feel like we're a hundred years removed from the era of Coolidge and Coolidge is one of my favorite presidents of all time and I feel like quite frankly he was one of the last accessible presidents that really didn't have a barrier between him and 
the country and he just would go out there and talk to people and do his thing. Trump has brought that back in a way. Granted, you know, he still has all the security around him and he can't just speak freely. He is speaking as freely as I think we will ever see. And that has brought so much entertainment on its own. The fact that he's out there tweeting, I don't think he has a team. I don't think he has anyone double checking what he's about to send out. I mean, I'm not entirely sure, but it doesn't seem that way. And I think this genuine, transparent um, blast of communication that he just goes out there before he hops on a helicopter and he speaks to all those reporters, uh, you know, right through himself and they stop doing the press conferences. I mean, the, the reporters are all complaining that there's no more press conference. And I'm saying this guy is speaking directly to you. What more do you want? This is this is, I think, one of the greatest turns of the past decade and quite frankly, the past century. So now the entertainment that comes out from not only the president speaking directly to us, but this president in particular and his, again, WWE attitude that we get to see full blast. I mean, it, there's you can't ask for anything better. Well, you do get the, the situations where occasionally there, there's a somber moment and then there's this there's a tweet that comes out and it's got perfect uh, grammar and and there's no random uh, capitalizations. I'm like, I don't really think that Donald Trump actually tweeted that one out. I think somebody somebody took took his phone from him and actually did it like an adult. But I've also heard people speculating that there's been some that have been some pretty coherent statements, but they still had some of the random capitalizations and things like that, like that maybe his staff is trying to masquerade as him because too many people have pointed out that occasionally his tweets sort of uh, very off brand sound very coherent and per- almost presidential. And so they started trying to litter them in with uh, some uh, grammar mistakes and uh, capitalizations to try to pass them off as if they were his own. Do you, th- do you buy that idea? No, I think it's it's him. You got to give him the benefit of the doubt that the man knows how to write a complete sentence and the man knows how to be presidential. I mean, at the end of the day, he's an actor. You know, he's a he's a celebrity. He's an actor. He knows how to do this. He knows how to act presidential, whatever that means. He's the president. I find him to be presidential. And, but, and I think that we've just proven that that not everybody has skills as being an actor. That it's <laughs> absolutely. That's not something I'll ever get into, that's for sure. I have a point that I would like to make, which is one of the interesting things about Trump tweeting is that over time, Kate, you make a point that's very different from uh, the past. But now it seems like everybody everybody talks like Trump, right? Everybody tweets like Trump. The supreme leader of Iran, uh, whatever his name is, the other day was on Twitter, like respond, quote, quote tweeting quote, tweeting Trump and say, like, kind of trash talking him or whatever or whatnot. And uh, you have different official brand accounts that are trash talking each other, uh, other stuff, people, the kind of mannerisms, it seems to have kind of taken over everybody. Because maybe because it seems like Trump is, whatever else you could say about Trump, he seems like he's having a lot of fun with it. So maybe other people say, well, I want to do that too. Because nothing bad happens to you, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely made it okay to go in this Twitter sphere and and speak your mind. Um, and again, there's a lot of consequences that come with that for you know everyday people. When you're not the president of the United States, you don't really. I mean, you you feel the effects a lot more if you say something off. But um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that we're now having we really are having wars on Twitter. You know, a war of words, and everyone's trying to be tough and. And the fact that leaders are fighting each other on Twitter, I think it's, I think it's, um, it's astonishing. But I, again, I absolutely adore the fact that 
I believe it's Trump doing it himself. Hillary Clinton, even now, she tries to come out. She's had some real zingers the past few years um, trying to come after Trump or just speak out about what's going on. And dude, she has a team of 17 people. They, uh, you know, something viral happens. They wait eight hours to get the perfect tweet to respond to it. And it still is horrible and boring and lame. And he's just out there doing doing it all himself. And I think there's something to be said for that. What I want to see is what, what will we be saying about Twitter in 10 years? That's what I'm really fascinated about is, is, Will that still be the platform that everybody is using, including the president of the United States? Or are we going to transform? Is Twitter going to implode on itself and make it so that it's basically, you know, unusable? I'm, I'm very curious to see how Twitter continues to be a part of our everyday life. Oh, I, I'm, I'm one who thinks that it'll probably change and, and quite likely get dislodged by something else. It's kind of like Netflix. Um, Netflix is one of the biggest disruptions in entertainment in the past decade. And, you know, now people are speculating about whether whether Netflix is going to make it out over the next few years um, just because it disrupted the market so much. But other providers saw what, what you know, saw how powerful streaming was, you know, and companies like NBC are taking back their content. Um, and so they're changing, you know, they, they've learned from it, they're adapting to it. And I think that, you know, there's going to be startups, there's going to be other competition. Um, and so, and I'm, I'm even seeing things from, from Jack, that Jack Dorsey, that, that he's got some ideas about how he's going to change up uh, Twitter. And, you know, those types of big rebranding, re, big reorganizations, you know, sometimes they're just, you know, new Coke. And that's not what the consumer wants, and it can really set you back. Obviously, Coke survived, but but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm pretty, con- you know, I, I, if I were to bet on it, I would say that Twitter is not likely to still be the dominant uh, platform that it, that it is currently. Especially if Jack still has his hands on it, because I don't know how many people know, but Jack single-handedly has brought Twitter down, but he's also completely abolished vine which was the six second video platform that was just taking off when he decided that that he no longer wanted it around and got rid of it and now we have the problem of having to fight china because they have TikTok, <laughs> TikTok, and you know that horrible platform has just brought so much trouble and now we're getting we have to stop using it because it might be used by Chinese spies and the whole thing is ridiculous. And if Jack just never got rid of Vine, we would have never been in this problem. So I'm, I'm worried about Jack being in control of anything because quite frankly, who knows when he's going to actually be doing his job or when he's at some Indian meditation retreat drinking <laughs> dirt water for Zen. I don't know. Just a minute ago, you referenced to Twitter wars. And uh, I think waking up this morning, the uh, the trends were WW3 and World War Three because we just had this uh, situation in you know people are making the comparison to Benghazi of the U.S. embassy that was attacked by uh, Iranian backed forces and I'm not sure they got all the details right but then tr- Trump back, back to the tweets Trump uh, responded saying that there would be a response that Iran would pay and this wasn't a uh, and I forget exact exact wordings but he basically says this is a threat. And then I think within about 24 hours, we had um, we had killed uh, one of their prominent generals, uh, Suleimani. And people are speculating that this is about to lead to World War Three and such. Um, what, what, what is your geopolitical sense of what's happening in the Middle East with Iran? 
Well, let's just start out by saying I am in no way a foreign policy expert or a foreign policy novice even. I am a foreign policy, let's, you know, let's go with the flow and see what happens here sort of a person. But the Iran thing, again, when I look at all of this, my expertise, if you will, is not in policy. It's let's watch the world implode and let's see people um, react to pretty basic what I believe to be black and white things in this gray area of disaster. People, I find it very disheartening, honestly, that people are trying to equate the attack on the U.S. embassy in Iraq to be anything like Benghazi, um, that they would actually want. They were basically in real time saying, oh, this is it. Now people are going to die and Trump will have this stain on his record. I think people are so just dead set on having a stain on his record that they're willing to wish for innocent people and Americans to die for that. And I think that's what kind of a state of wacky mind loss is this? I mean, with, you know, what's happening in Iran now, again, you got Rose McGowan, who's who constantly speaks out against Harvey Weinstein and, and being oppressed and being, you know, everything bad that's happened with the whole Me Too era. She's the first person to speak out. Now you have her saying that it's a bad thing that we took out the, the you know, number two guy in Iran that's responsible for the deaths of of thousands and countless amount of uh, numbers of Americans. I mean, how absurd is it that that we want we're begging for tragedy and human loss just to make Trump look bad? I mean, it's it, we're really now just beyond redemption in that way. But again, I don't think it really matters. I don't think listen, World War 3 every two weeks, they say there's something that's going to start World War Three. What I think is excellent is that any sort of issue that we have with Iran now, we're actually willing to fight back. We're no longer, you know, giving them everything that they want. So did we take out their guy? Yeah. Will they maybe retaliate? Maybe. Are we ready to knock them out harder than they will ever come at us? Absolutely. And I think that we can all sleep well at night just knowing, you know, this is just the way of the world. Uh, it's much better to take out the bad guy killing people than be afraid that they might kill people if you take out the bad guy. You know, we gotta gotta be a bit proactive with these monsters out there. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I get the idea that if you do something like what we just did with, you know, taking out Soleimani, um, that this is going to anger the Iranians and they're going to want retaliation. I mean, of course they will, but this, this is, we're talking about you know, one of the, you know, perpetual leading uh, state sponsors of terrorism. So it's not like we've had a peaceful relationship with Iran. Um, and particularly if they were truly were behind this attack, they've certainly been behind other attacks. Um, so in that sense, it's like provoking what? I mean, they already are engaged in terrorism. So I find that particular, uh, you know, complaint about the uh, our actions to be a little bit uh, misguided. And and I think Rose McGowan in particular, I think she wrote the, this tweet saying something like, Dear Iran, and she is basically apologizing for for our actions. But the part that I found was pretty humorous was saying that uh, the Americans are being held hostage by this administration. Like, nobody's actually keeping you here. Um, there's there's certainly, certainly in the case of Iran, you know, we've you have a lot of limitations on freedoms. Well, in the United States, we certainly have the ability to leave. That's not a, that's, that's never been in question. So 
Um, let's turn a little bit and talk about uh, more more recent event. Well, that was very recent events, but we were talking earlier about the decade. Let's talk a little bit about 2019 and and um, you know I guess the one big unavoidable storyline of the year was and it's not over is is impeachment. Um, I've jokingly said the other day that um, I get all my impeachment news from you. And I think at that point you had tweeted about impeachment about twice. And that's really about as much as I followed impeachment, just because it was pretty predictable in my mind what was going to happen, that Trump would be impeached. But and this part hasn't happened yet, that there won't be a removal in the Senate. But I didn't follow blow by blow um, all the all the machinations of impeachment. So. You know, tell us what you saw, what your perceptions were of the impeachment process and 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 maybe a little bit more about the infotainment aspect of it. What was the news coverage uh, of impeachment been like and what's it like right now as we move into the the Senate side? Well, I mean, come on, everything. It, It was it was pretty insufferable at a certain point just because everyone covering it wanted so badly for this to be. Again, they're just always looking to make Trump look bad. And now it's it's so repetitive that even talking about the fact that, you know, they wanted him to be impeached from day one. And that was really obvious. They were always just looking for something, something. They thought they had something. They didn't. Thought they had something again. They didn't. Then they finally went through with this. And look, he got impeached. I think the greatest thing that ever happened was within, and again, you can argue that he's not impeached yet because they haven't handed over the articles of impeachment, but it, you know, that's neither here nor there. By the standard of you know, the public opinion, he's impeached. And I think there was nothing better than Trump getting impeached, having, you know, coming off of the holidays um, and fresh off the holidays, taking out this, you know, the number two guy in Iran. And proving like it, this doesn't matter. You know, now we're straight into 2020. It's the it's the election year, and look at how he's not getting stopped at all from his job. Everyone's complaining that you know he didn't tell Chuck Schumer or any of the head Democrats that he was going to do this. Hey, we're already. He doesn't need to. This was we the the attack on the uh, Iraqi uh, the embassy in Iraq was an act of war. I don't know what people think that was, but that was an act of war. Um, and you know, Iran was behind it. Where we are always able, this guy has been after us as part of, you know, if he's taking out Americans, I'm sorry, Trump can, that's what you do as commander in chief. You make the call, you take him out. And so this impeachment thing, again, was just, it's getting completely washed over. And I think I kind of feel bad for the Democrats because they don't really have anything left to talk about. When the Mueller report was in the news, that's all they spoke about. And then when that was gone, you know, they had to bring up whatever else. And then it was the impeachment stuff. And now that impeachment has basically come and gone, I don't know where they're going to go from here. Now you got to focus on the election and, and they don't really have anyone great to pump up. Well, let's talk about that for a moment, because I think that I'm, I'm not surprised myself that Biden's got a clear lead, but... Everyone, you know, so many of the experts um, were predicting that Biden would fade, fade away. They probably thought he would fade away by now. And, you know, I think we were originally told that it was going to be Kamala Harris, you know, that she was likely to be the candidate. She was going to be one of the front runners. Um, Warren, uh, there's a lot of talk about um, Beto's chances. And from my perspective, it seemed that early on in the, in the, um, pre, you know, the Democratic uh, primary, that everybody ran to the left of Biden, thinking that that was going to be the way to go. And then you had 
uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who really took down Kamala Harris. Uh, but, you know, Harris was saying things like, you know, uh, that we're going to outlaw health, health insurance. You had Beto O'Rourke, who uh, shortly after saying, yeah, hell yeah, we're coming for your guns, um, that he completely plummeted in the polls and had to, um, you know, uh, stop his campaign. And then Elizabeth Warren with... Um, you know, when she took the positions on Medicare for all, I think it was about that time when, when she was coming out with some of her economic and tax plans that her polling numbers dropped in half. I think they've come up a little bit now. But suddenly, you know, you look at the situation, you got Biden with about a 10 point lead across various polls. Warren's dropped to third place. Um, it's, you know, talk about that a little bit. I mean, from my perspective, I think that maybe the. Uh, the, the Democratic Party wasn't as far left as these candidates thought they were. I, you know, I think what Kamala Harris is, I think someone from her campaign had said that they made the mistake of, of sort of looking to um, Democratic Twitter as if that really reflected the Democratic Party. And it was and to their, they found out it was far to the left of the Democratic Party. So, you know, talk about where the candidates are now and kind of where you see them going. Do you think do you think Biden's going to be the nominee or do you think somebody else is going to swoop in? I've always thought Biden was going to be the nominee even before he uh, announced that he was running. It just seems like the natural fit, I think, because they're so lost in who to pick that they want to, everyone's so, I've you know been saying forever, everyone's nostalgic, not everyone, but people who dislike Trump are nostalgic for Obama. Um, you know, it's not that they really wish Hillary was there. They miss the Obama years and how that was, you know, they were untouchable. So I think Biden is just so associated, obviously, with Obama. And even though Obama's not backing him, I think naturally that would just be the sort of person that the Democrats would want to hold tight to. Now, he still has been going a bit further left. And yeah, he has his gaffes and whatnot. I, like I said, I still think he's going to get the nomination. But I think the, I think someone who is really being overlooked, and I think just even in your intro, it proves this. I think Buttigieg is on his way to make a comeback. I think he will be the one to go head to head with Biden because I think, you know, Warren is just not doing anyone any favors. I think, again, she's a, she's a, she, her poll numbers are fine, but, uh, you know, she's more of a Twitter person. She's more of a viral person. She's more of like, I feel like her supporters are just the ones that are really um, out front and center and the loudest. So you think that there's a lot of steam behind her. Same thing with Biney, uh, Biney, <laughs> uh, with uh, Bernie people. But I think Buttigieg is slowly captivating um, this more moderate, uh, just, you know, I'm tired of the nonsense. I'm tired of Trump's nonsense. I'm tired of this far left attitude that we have. I think Buttigieg is the one that's going to really give Biden a run for his money. And I think we'll see that a lot in the next few months. But because um, there, there's no way that Tulsi, in my opinion, can come back from already being pushed out. I think Buttigieg is the next best option. So we'll see when Buttigieg and Biden go head to head, what that looks like, um, if that does come out that way. But I would say be on the lookout for him making a comeback. Well, so another another mayor of a slightly larger city. What are your thoughts about Bloomberg? I mean, you're from New York, so you probably have a little bit more insights than about him than you know uh, than other listeners we have. Um, what are your thoughts about Bloomberg? He's clearly going to have a lot of money to throw at a campaign. Do you think that there's any shot that he could? 
you know, propel himself. I guess he's he's aiming for Super Tuesday, trying to pull off some wins. Do you think he can buy his way into you know the the top tier? Um, you know, I think he's him and Steyer have already thrown in so much money, um, and it's a real shame because I feel like with the money that they're throwing into a failed campaign, uh, they could be doing really good things with that money. And I think that that um, you know people people feel that. Uh, kind of disappointment of like, okay, great, you're a billionaire and you want to use your money, what, just to disrupt the system, but not really get anything done? You know, that that's, that money just fades away into nothing. So um, I think the thing with Bloomberg is, you know, he was a horrible mayor when he was mayor of New York City. He's just, he's always been pandering and he's always one that pretends to be one for the little people. And he's not, you know, he's he's the number one guy with all the cronies. So I think, I, I don't think that he will have the ability to buy his way in. I don't think anyone falls for his nonsense. I don't think he's really likable. He, I mean, I truly, I find Tom Steyer, who basically is just a resistance robot, I find him to be more enthusiastic and personable than, than Bloomberg. Bloomberg is, is, I don't think, no matter how much money he has, he can buy his way in. Everyone knows that he just goes from party to party wherever, and he's an opportunist, not a good guy. Right. Oh, did you see the tweet that Bloomberg put out about how if he's president, he's going to turn the White House into cubicle offices? And there was like a oh yeah, like it. an open floor plan or open something. Open floor plan, yeah. I mean, he's just saying anything that's that's different, but it's not even good different. It's like okay, we don't we don't really care what's happening in the White House. Why is that something that you're telling us about how the White House will change? You know, tell us how you're going to change the economy or you're going to change things that actually affect us. Like you're just, he's ridiculous. So I have a question for you looking to 2020. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and think that, you know, and assume that you think that Donald Trump is going to win re-election. What would, what do you think would be any different in a second term with Donald Trump? Do you, uh, you know, what, what issues do you think that he would focus on and, uh, what what sort of entertainment could he bring in, in in the second term that he hasn't brought in the first term, and maybe with with that in mind, who might we see in the uh, in the in the administration in the second term in the within the cabinet? Oh, within the cabinet, that's a good question. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you know if he gets reelected, and because I do believe that he will get reelected. But uh, I think if he gets reelected, I think maybe he doesn't really have any shame about putting his his children in the cabinet positions, you know, who knows? Um, but in terms of entertainment, I unfortunately have this, call it, I don't know what you call it. I just feel like these first four years, and I know we're in year three, but the first term of Trump has been fairly easy. We haven't really had a shakeup. We haven't had a failing economy. We haven't really, you know, we've been pulling out of the wars and Things have been fairly, besides for Democratic opposition, he's had a pretty easy ride here. Unfortunately, I believe that in the next five years, um, and you know, we might already be seeing it with this Iran stuff, uh, I think we're going to have something a bit more devastating happen, and we're going to have to see Trump be less entertaining and more just strict. I think he's going to have to minimize his uh, wild ways for a bit and get a little bit more serious, unfortunately. And I think that'll take him down a little bit, but hopefully because again he's not looking at a re-election he can just do what he believes is best because at that point it will be a hundred percent protecting his legacy and you know he more than anyone else wants people to be able to look at those 
those buildings with his name on it and say, wow, not only was he a great businessman, but that was the greatest president we ever had. His legacy will be very important to him. So I think he's not going to do as many political moves um, as much as just through, um, I mean, he's already doing great things for America, but I think unfortunately we're going to be thrown into some, some bigger messes that he, we're going to have to see him really pull through and be a leader, less entertaining. Who do you think is going to be in the cabinet? Oh, I don't know. Um, but I mean, if we look at if we look at the first term, I mean, there's certainly been a lot of turnover. And, you know, I think it's interesting, too, because I think that if you looked at the original cabinet, I think there are so many beyond the cabinet too, so many job posts that were difficult to fill, because I think a lot of people, a lot of Republicans, a lot of conservatives, they didn't see eye to eye with Trump. They were scared to associate with Trump early on. And if you look at where the Republican Party is now, there, you know, he's certainly still has his critics, but he doesn't have very many vocal critics within the Republican Party. And the question is going to be mostly sort of a question of timing in the sense of if you are a, let's say, middle-aged career politician where you still have a lot long you know, potential career ahead of you. Do you associate firmly with Trump in his second term and think, okay, maybe this is what I need to, to boost my career? Or do you take the other view and say, Trump's gone in four more years. And so I don't want to be, I don't want to risk being too tied to him. Um, because I think it's interesting, uh, you know, sort of what people, it's one thing to kind of play near term and figure out, okay, in this next election, I need to get Trump's endorsement and such. But this is a little bit more of a long-term thought process, right? If you if you join Trump's cabinet, then you really are, you know, you're tr- part of the Trump wagon. You're on the Trump wagon. So it's going to be much more, you're going to be much more closely aligned than, say, some senator who, you know, is happy to take Trump's endorsement um, and, you know, made it, may oppose for some photo ops, but he can still, he or she can still kind of be from a d- distance and, and, you know, after Trump's gone kind of say, well, you know, I've, I've never, I've always stayed true to my principles and this type of thing. So I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic in the second term. Cause I think that, you know, he, he certainly has brought in people that were not part of the Washington establishment. You know, some of it's been comical, like the Scaramucci uh, you know, stint, uh, I think he's there. So it's going to be interesting to see who might, you know, pop into the administration. But I don't know that the people are, you know, I don't know that sort of, you know, maybe a Josh Hawley, maybe somebody like him would, uh, if it was a, a really uh, plum type of position, um, you know, a, um, oh, who's the bearded guy, Josiah? Um, the senator, the bearded senator. Ted, Ted Cruz? <laughs> You know, that bearded senator that spoke at the convention, uh, you know, somebody like him. Kelly Ayotte? No, no. Young guy. Um, about Josh Hawley's age, but um, I can't think. It was tall, tall guy. I think former Marine. Tom Cotton? Tom Cotton. Okay, because I don't... You know, like Tom Cotton. He didn't have the beard. What's that? I, I don't think he has the beard anymore. Yeah, I don't know about him with a beard. Oh, uh, did he cut did he it? Okay. Anyway. Uh, but, you know, it'd be interesting to see if somebody like a Josh Hawley or someone like that would see joining the administration, you know, if it's a prominent position, that might be a way for Josh Hawley to run for president in 2024. 
Um, so I think there's going to be, I think there's going to see some people like that that may make that calculation, but I'm not really sure who else we might see that, you know, I don't know who the next Scaramucci would be, but um, uh, I'm sure there's somebody out there. Well, I think an advantage that Trump has now is that with so much time going by, you know, when he had to conjure up that cabinet um, group in the way beginning, no one really knew what was happening. No one knew what he was capable of. And all he had were the people who, you know, always wanted something from him and worked with him in the business world. Um, Now, what he's going to have the advantage of having is seeing who is truly loyal to him after all these years and the people who are the most competent and the people who also have seen what he's been able to do um, politically and really getting behind him for the right reasons. I think that's going to be very helpful because it'll be less of a disaster of people just attaching on because they want to be a part of the movement. Um, You know, now you'll actually have people that are serious and on board and they know what they're signing up for, which will get a lot more responsible, hopefully, um, candidates for these positions. Um, so we were just you, you just mentioned um, Trump's life in business before the presidency. And I know that, uh, you know, Josiah and I see all the time all these conversations and we participate in these conversations. What's politics? What's policy going to be like in the world after Trump? And, you know, you see uh, people speculating about the Republican Party, what it's going to be like. But, you know, we can have that conversation. But it occurs to me that maybe an interesting conversation to have is what's Trump's life like after the Oval Office? Because that might actually tell us a little bit about what to expect from him out of uh, out of his second term. Um, what do you think? You know, there, he's he's I think at one point he was saying that the White House was a dump compared to the places he's used to living. But I think that I think that all the trappings of power grow on you. Um, you know, what do you expect Donald Trump to do after the presidency? I, I don't think that he's likely to, to hit the lecture circuit like uh, uh, Obama and, you know, several other presidents have done that. I, I don't know if he's going to be uh, trying his hand again at a Trump foundation. What do you think that he's likely to do? Yeah, um, no, after the um, his life will be nothing like Obama's post-presidency. Obama, you know, has been one of my my I really don't like when people criticize Trump for being a a very rich individual before going into office. They think that that's somehow a bad thing. And all I say is no, it's not because he doesn't get into office looking for money um, and how to set up his life and be better financially like Obama did. I mean, Obama came in with nothing and look at him. He's buying the biggest houses. He's getting this Netflix deal. And then he tries to be cool and transparent post-presidency not speak out about politics, what he once claimed to be the most important thing um, in the world to him. And he gives us his Netflix recommendations without ever specifying, hey, you know, this is a kickback to me because I'm the one producing all these things that I'm suggesting to you. I mean, it's, you know, that sort of, fraud life of enjoying the fame that you got from being president. Trump has gone into this. Quite frankly, honestly, I believe uh, with a better power position than before he was president because he had people on all sides liking him. He was the wacky, crazy apprentice celebrity guy. Um, He was always the best to have at a party and he was always, you know, Everyone loved him except Rosie O'Donnell. That was really one of the only people who hated him before all this um, or publicly hated him. And so I think, you know, what he's going to do is 
he'll do the same thing like he does now where he throws little jabs at people who come at him personally, but he'll be doing it from Mar-a-Lago or wherever else he decides to be and stay put, hunker down. The kids will take over the business. He'll be set for life and he can actually enjoy these years. Like, quite frankly, I think he should have been doing, but instead he decided to be president, go out with a bang. But I think, you know, if he, if he can get through the next few years, stress-free enough to keep him, you know, alive and well, and hopefully he doesn't age like the other presidents have in the past, um, in the next few years, then I think he'll just, he'll just fade away and be there for zingers on Twitter. I don't think we'll, he's not going to do circuits and speaking and he, I don't think he's going to do circuits of the speaking engagements and that type of thing. And I don't think that, uh, uh, you know, short of rehabilitating himself, if you will, sort of the way that Nixon did, where people, you know, Nixon was so hated and then he became sort of the scholar. I don't see Trump becoming a scholar, but maybe there's a way that he can rehabilitate himself to do the Saturday Night Live skits, you know, in the future and things like that. But you, you, you made a comment that you thought that the kids would take over the business. And you know, it strikes me that that's something that I don't really see Donald Trump doing. I think that he's he's very hands-on. And I've been joking for a while that Donald Trump's going to have the distinction of being the first president impeached twice. And because um, you, you know that the Democrats are going to be looking for something from day one if he gets reelected. And, and it seems to me that there's some fodder there. There's some, you know, there's some concerns if Donald Trump is sort of looking ahead to uh, what his business holdings, his business activities are going to be afterwards. You know, that would be a, uh, a sort of an a- interesting angle uh, for the Democrats to be digging into. Is like, is he already kind of feathering his bed trying to get uh, new real estate developments done around the world and such? And so I'd keep my eye on that. There's, that's my big prediction for this, the second term. And I guess on that note and, and sort of in closing, any big predictions for 2020 um, or predictions for the remainder of the second term from Donald Trump? Well, I personally just think he's going to win. I know that's the boring, uh, the boring thought. You know, uh, someone someone presented me with the idea the other day that Trump was actually going to resign in this next year, and the the crazy train of th- thought that they brought me down. I was finding myself just saying. I don't want him to leave, but my God, if he did that, the chaos that would ensue, the absolute shock that would rattle the world if he did that would be fascinating to watch. I hope he doesn't do that, but um, if he does do it, ooh, that would be interesting. But no, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna run again. I think he's gonna win in twenty twenty. I think will just be um, a lot of chaos, a lot more division uh, sprung up by the rascally people who just, I don't know, I just don't know that anger management exists. Um, And I think it'll just be like it always is. I think we always say, oh, it's worse than ever, or it's bad, or it's never been like this. No, I think it's just, you know, we're going through the motions. It just feels louder because we're on Twitter and whatnot. But I think, um, I think it'll just be a whirlwind of a show and I'm looking forward to seeing it. All right, Kate. Well, thank you again um, for being on the show, and we look forward to having you on, on the show again. Uh, if you ever decide to take time away from your busy, busy schedule of being on Fox News, I was on Fox News once. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's going to be it's going to be so much more in the in the coming year. Well, that's your is that your twenty twenty prediction? Yes, totally. All right, cool. 
has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson. Sorry, that was uh, Orson Welles. Oh, my. <laughs> my. Yeah. I don't know. It seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs>